Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is a podcast from Minute Media. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, November the 7th, 2021, of course. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com, no G. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, and check out our friends over at Rising Apple, as this show is part of the great fan-sided podcasting network. Tons of great podcasts. Check them all out over at Fansided. So, uh, welcome in, everybody, and uh, look, there's a little chill on the pumpkin out there, right? We just got past Halloween, first freeze of the winter, and with the World Series ending and the Atlanta Braves World Series champions, we are now officially... In the hot stove, and I know where I am, it's a little chilly, and I could use a little, what is it, those little stoves, what are those called, Sono stove, Solo stove, I don't know, it doesn't matter. Anyway, someone will send me a, a note saying how I screwed up the name of that, but you know what I'm talking about, those little stoves that you got out there. But uh, anyway, uh, a lot to talk about. Joining me in a little bit, our good friend, and he had a great article over at New York Sports Day, Rich Man Cuso about how he believes it was something that Devin Gordon and I spoke about a couple of weeks ago, something that I I have not felt is a problem. And 
out of all the reporting, and there's been very little reporting out there right now, and it turns out some of the reporting is was fake, as it came out from Andy Martino of SNY, that there's never been uh, a shutout of Sandy Alderson. But Rich believes that Sandy Alderson, based on his information, his sources, may be a problem in this whole GM president of baseball operations search, which continues. Looks like there's no end in sight. The GM meetings are before us. The Mets will send their uh, contingent, I'm assuming, of Sandy Alderson, his son Bryn Alderson, Ian Levin, maybe Tommy Tanis. Uh, the usual names you've heard from the Mets front office, the guys that have uh, pretty much been bringing it home. Zach Scott, no longer part of the front office. Sad situation. Look, you really can't get crazy about that decision because it's an off-the-field HR issue. I think Cohen is really, I mean, I'd be really annoyed how not one but both of my hires from last winter went up in flames off the field. And to keep him around... Unfortunately, where I don't think that would have been as controversial as standing by Porter, which is amazing because, I mean, Scott could have killed somebody. But be that as it may, uh, I think Zach Scott, from all I've heard, was a valuable member of the front office. Maybe Chili Davis disagrees. We'll get to that. But Zach Scott will be missed. I think that regardless of whether he was able to show leadership and really blend the scouting and analytics together, which is so necessary in my opinion, as I've said before, into running a baseball team, uh, you know, he brought some uh, decent components, I thought, to the organization. I thought how they were able to get past the replacements period with some uh, decent depth, uh, scrap heap guys like a Billy McKinney and so on and so forth. I, I have to think uh, that he's part of that. I know that their reliance on analytics for uh, defense, I think, you know, plays into maybe his influence. I know they have a really beefed up analytics department uh, what a former Dodgers executive running it. So, uh, look, uh, it is what it is at this point. You know, I think everybody knew that was coming. So Zach Scott and the Zach Scott era is over. Cautionary tale, all it takes is one bad decision and your career could go up in flames. I, I believe Zach Scott will probably, once his legal situation works out, get another job somewhere. Maybe he goes back to the Red Sox and what have you. So uh, let's start. We'll get to Rich Mancuso in a little bit, but let's start with the hot takes that were out there this week. So because we're getting very little journalism right now, the Mets have shut it down. Other than Andy Martino, who's been really the only one out there in the mainstream media giving you something, and he even admits he's not getting perfect information out there. Mets have really gone underground. That's his word. But it didn't stop the media. Uh, look, you're going to get the cone hit jobs that you saw in the New York Post with Joel Sherman, where he basically took last year's press conference with all the Alderson Cohen platitudes and threw them back in their face. And look, <laughs> I'm sure that they still want to have a functional, forward-thinking, desirable organization and win a title in five years. Nobody said it was going to be easy. I said this last year when Cohen came on board and he was getting all the platitudes and all the good press for about 60 days. Uh, if you thought, and I think a lot of people did in Mets fandom, that the, the bad days are over, the struggles are over, that the Yellow Brook Road is in front of you. Well, you just don't understand life. You don't understand sports because uh, the fun's just beginning. Uh, you're going into the deep end of the pool. You're able to have another resource that you didn't have before. Having money never solves problems. In a lot of ways, it creates other problems, other tough decisions, other expectations, and uh, it just makes it a little easier to navigate some of the pitfalls that come with running a baseball team. So uh, that's where I've always stood. I've said that. You could probably find a show less winter where I've said that. I've said that a thousand times. 
So forget that. But there was a couple of pieces that came out. One, look, uh, the Post is trying to promote Post Plus $5 a month for some enhanced content. Uh, I have signed up for it. Uh, it's been okay. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to stick with it. Uh, they have to step it up a little bit if I'm going to continue to pay $5 a month. I think journalism, of course, where it's under attack with advertising and I think with the economy and inflation and what's going on in the world, I think it's going to get harder for those kind of uh, revenue streams to come you know, by easily. Um, they need to put out content. So what better way, old school newspaper journalism, than to put out a salacious story that's going to get a lot of eyeballs. So let's start with the what really happened with the rat raccoon situation. Well, does it surprise you it came out now? Because this, is an, this has been going on with the Mets for a while. Bitter ex-employee leaves miraculously a behind-the-scenes story comes out. Think back a couple of years ago when the story came out about Brody Van Wagenen throwing a chair in a meeting with uh, Mickey Callie, which, oh my God, he threw a chair. Like, nobody's ever got angry in sports and either flung something or thrown something. I mean, it's such a snowflake society right now, uh, and people live in such weird bubbles in their world, and maybe they haven't experienced a lot, that that actually was, oh my God, he threw a chair. Through a chair. So now take that and ask yourself back then, well, Dave Island was fired as pitching coach right before that. How did that story come out? Hmm, I wonder who the source was on that. I don't know that for fact, and maybe I'm way off, but there's some good Inspector Clouseau work I think I'm doing right over there. Now, you go to the current day. Well, the Rat Raccoon story finally came out. What happened? Before I summarize it, if you haven't read it, and I don't know if that was actually part of Post Plus, but you know, I don't care right now. I'm not, I'm not getting paid by Post, New York Post, by the way. Trust me, I'm not taking a dollar from them. And if I ever had it, uh, if the fan-sided partnership led to that happening, you would know. I'd make sure you knew, and I wouldn't I wouldn't lie about it. Um, so the Mets get rid of a bunch of coaches. Derek, Gary DeSarcina, going to be the third-base coach in Washington. Clearly, they didn't watch the Mets run the bases this year. Nobody scored from second on a single. And I think Gary DeSarcina had one of the worst third-base coaching performances since Chuck Hiller in 1990. I got criticized for bringing him up at a prior uh, show. Look it up. Awful. Do a Google search. There's got to be something that comes up that says Chuck Hiller doesn't know how to play, you know, ruins a game in 1990. Gets Mark Carrion injured, sends slow-footed, I think, Mackie Sasser home. Again, getting off topic. But anyway, Gary Disarcina is out. I think Ricky Bonas is out. Everybody except for Jeremy Hefner is out there looking for work right now that was on Luis Rojas' staff. Luis Rojas doesn't have a job. Who knows? Maybe he leaked the story. Because he came out in that story looking kind of okay. Can't put him aside. You don't know. But anyway, the story goes that McNeil was having trouble with defensive positioning. With the analytics and all that shifting and whatnot. He was struggling with it. It was driving Lindor crazy. Lindor, who, by the way, wasn't a fan of it and came out in spring training about it. It got so bad that uh, with a situation where I guess Lindor and... I think you guys remember, if you go back to uh, early season, they were kind of converging from their weird spots on the field. And at times, maybe McNeil was cutting Lindor off or whatever it may be. So it got so much to the point where you know, McNeil was resisting, Lindor was tired of it, that they got into a shouting match. Uh, Lindor grabbed McNeil by the throat. They had all out, sounds like, really bad brawl. From what was shown on the cameras, when we go back to that whole thing, we know that it wasn't good because... The, Multiple guys don't run down the tunnel to go solve that problem. And we all know what happened. They made up the silly story to deflect. They didn't want to, you know, make a bigger deal out of it. It did wind up going away. The story was 
probably more controversial than it should have been. And guess what? If the camera doesn't see all these guys running down the tunnel, you probably never even know about this. I don't even know if it would even be uh, post-mortem put out there. What did I see from that? Well, there was one part of the story where basically Rojas told him, either you get on board or you're benched. So to me, that's what a manager should do. He's trying to straddle the line between the front office and the players. Not easy. Shows you how difficult of a job the manager has in 2021 where he's taking all this direction from the front office. The players know not all of it is his idea. He's got to go out there and straddle that line and sell it and show the value. And it is not easy. This is a very difficult job, which when you have all the nonsense and the garbage and the BS going on around you, goes to show you how maybe not everybody wants this. Maybe that's why Bob Melvin said, eh, I'll stay out in sunny San Diego. Maybe the taxes are a little bit too high and what have you, but I got a nice salary. It's laid back. You know, I got a good team. You know, think about that as we go forward. So Rojas does his job. Lindor, who, and maybe in a veiled way in the next story that I'm getting out there with Chili Davis, goes out and shows leadership in the sense where, okay, People are all flabbergasted that he choked his teammate. Uh, I could go through a thousand examples of players choking each other out or fighting. or Nobody's going to kill anybody. This goes back to the whole snowflake. Like, you've never had a fight with your friend? You've never had a, you know, a fist fight with somebody? You know, maybe it wasn't you know all-out brawl with someone to the hospital, but you know, get into it when emotions are high. Have you ever heard the story of Xavier McDaniel and Anthony Mason? It was all the way. It was told many, many years ago in Pat Riley's Winter Within. It was recently rehashed in uh, Paul Nepper's book about the uh, 1990s Knicks. You remember the story about uh, Ray Odonia's getting socked in the face and getting a black eye? I mean, that, that I think Louis Lopez was the one that did that. Uh, you know, from what I understand, Ray could be a pain in the you know what as a teammate in the clubhouse. Um, there's probably tons of examples that we don't even know about of players going at it. And players having fights. You know, the you know, Ray Knight, we were just talking about the eighty-six Mets and you know, guys getting into fights on the on the bus. And how oh, look at that leadership, look at all the stuff that that team did, you know, how wild they were. We we applaud it. Now we're like, oh, Jeff McNeil's gotta go. Jeff McNeil, oh, he he does it, you know what? They can't get along. That's a bad toxic culture. Well, no, it's guys being guys. Grow up. Is it great to see that fight? Did I believe that everybody held... When they said they had a good clubhouse and they had guys that liked each other, I think that what it meant by that is everybody was, for what appears, embracing their role. Maybe they didn't like everything, but if they weren't embracing their role, everybody was trying to get them on board, work together for the common goal of winning. That was the thought. Now, Chili Davis dispels some of that in his opinion, and that's his opinion, and credit to him. He put himself on record. Unlike whoever talked about the rat raccoon story, did not put themselves on the record. So I see the star player showing leadership, saying get on board, and maybe getting frustrated that it took so much time and effort to get on board. So I see that, number one. I see the manager holding the player accountable. And from what we understand, McNeil, well, he wasn't a second baseman for the back half of the year after Baez came into uh, to the club and he had all those injuries. McNeil is, uh, you know, he was held accountable and, and, and he got on board before Baez when he did play because you didn't hear much more about it. This is not a big deal to say that this is other than this is an indictment on the Mets culture. Come on. 
Does anybody who, sometimes the people who write this, did they ever play team sports? Were they ever in a locker room? Were they ever in a situation where they were around people too much? You get tired of people. Like, no matter where you are, you get tired of people. Look, in a corporate environment in 2021, you're not going to go and deck somebody in, in your office. I understand that. But the baseball locker room is still not a real office. It's different. It's athletics. There's a lot of testosterone going on. Am I still allowed to say that? Or is testosterone a bad word now? Is that going to get this show canceled? Please. So that's my take. I, I, that's all it is. It's 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 meant for clicks. It's meant for you to sign up for Post Plus. I, I take nothing negative about anything there other than the how hard it is for a manager to sell these guys on some of the new concepts that are being put out there. And that really ties in to the other hot take salacious story that came out this week, which tells you kind of, and everything connects. It all connects to the GM thing. I'm going to get to that. I'll show you. There's a point here. So Chili Davis comes out and, you know, basically says, I shouldn't have been fired. We know that. And how analytics is ruining the Mets and there's too much of it. And look, I've said before, and I've talked to former players who agreed with me, I felt the plethora of information being thrown at these guys, especially as they're preparing for an at-bat on the on-deck circle, is no good. In a game where there's a lot of clearing the mechanism, where you got to like focus, where there's a lot of stress, a lot of self-doubt, a lot of failure that you have to deal with, adding all these percentages of pitches coming at them, video, all the mechanics that you're thinking about. You're taking away a lot of the natural instinct. You're trying to make this into a video game, Stratomatic Baseball, a logic proof, a stock uh, purchase. It's it, You got to use these as tools. And then when you go out into the field, you go out and you got to just play your game. You got to see, you can't practice during the game. You can't practice process during the game. That's for before the game. That's for in between the game. I think really when that game starts, you should be focused on your team, your dugout, the game, and really be engrossed in it. I think that's part of where all the downside of all this other stuff comes in, the video in the locker room. Like sometimes too much information is too much. I'll give you a goofy analogy. You ever go to a diner? And maybe now it's a little bit different because they got to cut down the menu because of supply chain and what have you. But... You go to the diner, they have 52 freaking pages. Cheesecake Factory. I'm sure you guys have all, wherever you are, maybe not our friends overseas. I don't know if the Cheesecake Factory is there. Did you ever go to the Cheesecake Factory? They have like a, a an 80-page menu, and you just wind up saying, just give me a burger. That's what it comes down to with some of this information. It's like, it's too much. I, I've told the story on the show before. There's Luis Guillorme before a big pinch hitting at bat in, in this late summer, uh, looking at the iPad with Hugh Quattlebaum. So... The example that Davis gave was that there was a game where Jake Arrieta was starting. They were talking about how he was only going to throw 7% of his pitches for change-ups. Davis disagreed, said, I remember him last year. We hit him pretty hard. He threw more than that. Lo and behold, that's what happened. But I think the process and what Davis is criticizing that, you know, it's they talk about it being the process. I agree with the front office on that. And I think Davis is not the kind of candidate that they wanted because his process was, I'll take analytics at this percentage amount of the time. I'll take my uh, lifelong experience as a former big leaguer, playing for good teams, playing in, in, in multiple eras, coaching with different organizations, and I'll make that a bigger piece of the pie. And they didn't like that because these analytics departments put a lot of time and effort. They want a lot of power 
because it's a it's a it's an industry that could continue to add people to it who can make money and 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 make a career. So remember, there's also self preservation with all this. That's always been. I've been saying that for well over a decade, back to when I used to write for my very popular website, nybaseballdigest.com. So really, the, the the moral of the story is Chili Davis says they're on the wrong track. He questioned uh, the leadership in the in the in the clubhouse, and and when he said, "Are they team players?" I think he was really talking about some of the new guys like Lindor. Look, you had guys like Pilar, who now no longer is with the organization, and VR that had shorter-term contracts. You know, everybody there, you know, that, you know, Stroman, Loop, they, you know, they have to perform for themselves to get paid in a very competitive environment. There's, if as long as you know your role, you brace your role, and you do what you have to do to prepare and, and, and perform at the highest level, selfishness in baseball is not necessarily a bad thing. It's really not. It's not like the NBA where you need that symphony of five players out in the court and coming off the bench and what have you. So I think what you see from these stories is kind of an inkling as to the challenges that a manager has come in this market. Maybe why the Mets have had trouble with some of the candidates like a Bob Melvin they've reached out to. And then also coming in here to an organization where you have, as Chili Davis said, some holdovers who may not be going anywhere, that have a different philosophy than the analytics-driven individual. And you're already dealing with a risk-averse generation, younger people. You've got... Now, one of the things that came out in those two articles, how Steve Cohen was the one that fired Luis Ross because of the whole thumbs-down thing. Which, that was so silly because, to me... uh, uh, you know, thumbs down. Is, who would have even thought to ask what that is in a post game? Like, I, that's only a 2021 reporter would ask that. Five years ago, I don't think they would. Um, and then Baez was honest. And obviously, Cohen didn't like the fact that Ross wasn't snuffing that out and what have you. Uh, I guess now the manager needs to worry about whatever, you know, post, you know, post hit celebration gesture they do. I mean, this is where it gets complicated. It's not enough to manage the team on a field and the game itself, X's and O's wise, deal with all the reports and analytics. Now you got to worry about the celebrations because who's it going to offend? Who's it going to, you know... It, we are in such a cluttered nonsense time in our history. It's it's beyond... It's actually beyond words. But it happened. I understand why Cohen fired him. But remember, that story's getting around the, the industry. Sandy Alderson, who is empowered to really be... Right now, the president of both baseball operations and business, probably more pseudo-GM, wants to keep the manager. The owner says he's not staying because of that. So they hear that, and they're like, mm, do I want to work for this guy? Well, guess what, everybody? With money becomes power and responsibility, and power and responsibility doesn't come for free. And you got a lot of guys who want to, you know, waltz in here, talk a big game, you know, use all buzzwords, tear it down hang their hat on a farm system and the thought of winning and the thought of competing and these fictitious timelines because there's, you know, one day the baseball gods say, yes, it is your time to be good and get a five, six, seven-year window and then hopefully it all comes together and, uh, you know, they can write the next book. And this owner's not having it. He wants to win. He wants to compete now. And he wants the right person and he's demanding. He's worth $14 billion. He took $3 billion of his money to buy this toy. You think he's going to sit back and let someone clown around playing Moneyball 2.0, 3.0, 4.0? I think not. 
think that that's where it's going into. I think this search is so much different than what's being reported. I really do. Because the fact that it's underground and that you're being, you're being you know, you've been lied to. Do you realize the Daily News lied to you about the Chris Christie and that Sandy Alderson's not involved? They lied to you. They took some well-educated, uninformed speculation and turned it into a source story. Would you ever read that newspaper again? Really? Think about what they did. They lied to you to get you angry so you could click and maybe subscribe to that piece of trash, which I know for a fact has very little subscribership for the paid version. I don't know how they're staying in business. They got, they're not making money. I mean, logic would. I don't know that for a fact they're not making money. They lied to you. They sh- the person that wrote that should be fired. Won't be, for a variety of reasons, but should be fired. And they'll, you know, look, I'm not saying they didn't have sources, but I don't think that that was a well-sourced article. And I think that when it went to the narrative they wanted to play, they ran with it. And that's what everybody's doing. At least Joel Sherman is presenting his as an opinion. I mean, sometimes people take opinion and they, f- they don't really read and know the difference between sourced reporting and opinion. At least Ken Davidoff, you know it's his opinion. Daily News? Come on. You know, it's like educated speculation. I mean, we're getting, we're actually throwing Bob Guerin's name out again as a manager, managerial candidate. Could you believe that? That actually was thrown out this week. We've done this all the time. Anytime there's an opening with managers, because for some reason Sandy and Guerin have a relationship. So we're, throwing, we're going back. I mean, I talked about last week how five years ago, the kind of manager that you would, would have really doesn't work anymore. I mean, that's Bob Guerin. He hasn't managed in ages. Really? I mean, come on. It's un- unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And the real indictment, I think, on all this search, which, again, I think there's there's a lot of conversation with candidates. They're just, they're, they're finding the right mix, and uh, and maybe they're going to go with internally the situation. I think this week you'll hear, you'll hear something from Sandy. I mean, there's got to be a State of the Union at the GM meetings. They're not going to let him get away with that unless they're totally zooming it out, but I'm sure he'll talk. I think the real indictment is how baseball has not been able to have the next generation of young executives up and coming ready for the position. Because it seems like there's a struggle finding those guys. And look, maybe the jobs are better paid now where if you're a well-paid number two or number three, why would you want to leave that? I don't blame these guys. You could probably stay in those jobs forever, for a decade, maybe more. If you do a good job, because the next guy that comes in when the big guy gets fired is going to want to have some kind of period of transition. And you're saying, well, I'll just figure out a way to get ingratiated to the next guy. No, no cojones out there. Am I allowed to say that too? cojones? No cojones. And look, some of it is about family and location, and I don't begrudge anybody for that. But don't act like a big shot and talk a big game and talk about how smart you are and, and then hide in the woodworks. You want to hide in the woodworks, be who you are and stand for who you are. I refuse to believe that this job with this owner in this town at this point with some of the prospects they have, some of the current guys on the roster, the fan base so, as much as it could be toxic and negative, so hungry for a winner, how that ballpark is during the postseason. I can't believe somebody doesn't want to take it because I know there is. And I don't think it's Billy Epler who just ran into an agency situation. I don't think it has to be a politically correct appointee, which sounds like it won't be, depending on whether it's, you know, the next, you know, Wonder Woman female GM. I don't think it has to be someone who's, you know, from NASA, like the guy out in San Francisco, uh, like the guy out in Baltimore. I don't think, you know, 
that has to be those kind of guys. It just has to be somebody that has a good blend, good head on their shoulder, good blend of scouting and analytics, can work in an environment that can get a little crazy and chaotic, and knows baseball. I can't believe that you can't find that person. I can't believe it. I don't care how old they are. As long as they're up to date with the current game, that's fine. Um, I'm not anymore looking for the next Bill Parcells to coach this team or the next uh, Pat Gillick or the next Lou Lamarillo of baseball to come in. Just want a good baseball person because I think there's good baseball people in the organization right now. I really do. And I wonder why we've gotten to the point where uh, this is so complicated. There's got to be more to this story, and I do not believe we've gotten anywhere near the full picture from the media that we deserve. All right, let's take a quick break. When I come back, and boy, did I go on on that monologue. When I come back, I want to get into the qualifying offers for Conforto and Syndergaard. The Mets extended them. Good, because it was still 5 o'clock today on Sunday. It's early Sunday morning. I didn't want to sit around and wait. They did me a favor. I could do this show early. The qualifying offers are in. What does it mean? And one of them, I don't think was necessary. I'll talk about that more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. And yes, as you heard in the short promo coming into this uh, second segment of the Talking Mets podcast, if you could go on Apple and leave us a review if you're using Apple, give us five stars. It'll definitely help the show grow. We've been doing some great things, totally getting new people. And I want to give a couple of shout outs on the way out to some new listeners. Um, thanks to Rising Apple and check out risingapple.com. Some interesting work going on over there, part of the fan-sided network. And the fact that we've been involved with these great people that are, are helping us inject resources into the show and help promote us. And ultimately, this community, which has grown exponentially in the last two to three years, will only continue to grow, get stronger. Because as I said all the time, uh, especially on Twitter, at Mike Silva Media, we just want to have the truth. We want to have good baseball conversation. We don't want to be agitated. We don't want to be lied to. We don't, we don't want to be harassed. And I hope that this place, it, you know, although it's got the lens of my opinion and my philosophies uh, overarching over it, I, I think this place is inclusive in the fact that no matter what you believe, even if you disagree vehemently with, with me, I want to hear from you. And I want you to listen to my take. And when you send me an email and I read, and like Devin Gordon, we don't agree on everything, Devin Gordon, but he came on here and he gave me something to think about. And that's what this is about. And I think we're missing that. I know we're missing that independent media because a lot of the younger writers are using that platform to stymie different takes. That's happening. I have proof of that. Not getting into that today. Here, we're not doing that. Of course, my opinion is the dominant opinion because it's my show, but... I will address things, and I will address things I don't like, and I will admit when I'm wrong. At least I believe I do. And if I don't, call me out on it. Send me an email. MikeSilvatTalkingAboutPodcast.com. No G. So anyway, let's get to the point here. Uh, Conforto and Syndergaard both extended the qualifying offers. What does it say for the Mets? Well, it says Steve Cohen doesn't care about money. 
because I believe in the prior regime. Conforto is the no-brainer of the two because 18 million qualifying offer if he wants to rebuild his uh, his value, which is that him accepting that is unlikely. But it's, in, it's it's if I were Conforto, I wouldn't totally dismiss it. Um, there's a lot of unknowns there because of uh, the CBA. So I think he probably will d- reject it because of unless Morris has a real good feel of what the CBA will look like. You know, he he's probably going to say going into a new CBA, will I even make what I can make in the current market? Uh, Syndergaard would absolutely have not been offered it under the Wilpon ownership. $18 million is a big overpay there. And I'm going to start with him. I do want to get into Conforto, but I want to start with Syndergaard. Why do I feel the Mets shouldn't offer Syndergaard the qualifying offer? Well, because he's not going to get $18 million one-year deal on the market as a free agent. I think he's a guy that would get a deal. And I know everybody's used the Clory Kluber contract as a barometer, and that's a very good one. I said last year, if you remember, when Clory Kluber signed that, what was it, $11 million or $12 million one-year deal after really not pitching for a while and having serious health issues, and again showing that he's really not the same pitcher that he used to be this year with the Yankees, spending a lot of time on the disabled list, or the injured list, sorry. It's, you know, not meant to offend anybody, it's just, you know, force of habit from 40-plus years of the DL. Um that it was going to screw things up going forward for similar type players. And Syndergaard falls into that. Hadn't pitched in two years. Pitched two innings. Quite honestly, the second inning in Atlanta the last day of the season wasn't very good. You go to baseball savant, look at the numbers. His fastball's down three miles an hour since 2019. Three. I understand. His first year back from Tommy John surgery. Zach Wheeler had plenty of problems coming back from Tommy John surgery. He missed 2014. He missed 2015. Uh... Uh, excuse me, he missed 2015 and he missed 2016. He took 2017 uh, to really get back into pitching. And it wasn't really until late 2018 that he started to rediscover himself. took him two and a half years. Very possible it would have taken Syndergaard that. So what I was thinking is don't let him have the qualifying offer. Negotiate a two-year, maybe 22 or $24 million deal. Take a risk. It's $6 million more, but you get him for two years and you might actually get him when he finally figures out a little bit of what he, he, you know, if he can pitch at his old stuff, we haven't even seen him throw a slider, which I understand. Look, they know more than us. I don't know on the back end what's going on there, but he hasn't thrown his slider, which was something that he threw in prior years, uh, something that he threw in 2019, 15% of the time. Um, his changeup differential now is instead of being eight or nine miles, 10 miles an hour is half that between his fastball and his changeup. And he's going to have to rely a lot on, on on command and more craftiness if he has to pitch at 94, 95 because there's a guy that was throwing 100 and was one of the few guys throwing 100 when not everybody was. And uh, similar to Matt Harvey with diminished stuff, I'm not sure Syndergaard can pitch with diminished stuff. We're going to find out. I'm not saying he's not a smart pitcher. Uh, he's a goofy guy. Uh, he's a weird dude. I know people have met him. He's a weird dude. He's harmless. Uh, I think he loves New York, and I could tell by the meme that he put out there on Twitter this morning where he had the guy holding, you know, the meme of someone holding his head and saying, welcome back. He's going to accept that offer. I'd be very... He rejects it. He's a fool. Because he might cost himself, you know, $6, $6 million on a one-year deal. Because I don't know how many people will give him the two-year deal uh, idea that I did. Um, we'll see. So I think Syndergaard comes back. I would be very cautious. Now, on a team that doesn't have Stroman 
and has some starting pitching question marks, even all the way up to DeGrom, I get it. I'm not sure he's a starter. I'm not sure he's anything more than a back end of rotation starter. He wasn't all that great all the time in 2019 before he got hurt. He was a below-league average pitcher. Now, his analytics put him in a much better place, and if he can keep the walks down and he continues to miss bats, he's valuable, and he's going to give you some good production, even if he is in the back half of the rotation. What's funny is I saw that the Blue Jays were trying to work out a multi-year deal with Steven Matz, even though they uh, did not send him the qualifying offer. I still think letting Steven Matz go, just just a mistake. I know they got the, the depth with Reed Foley and Yancy Diaz, and they needed it throughout the season with those arms, but I thought that was a mistake. I wonder if he'd want to come back to New York, if that's an option on a reasonable deal. My guess is probably not. But uh, I don't know. We'll have to see what the Mets think. For whatever reason, I'm not sure this current administration, uh, I know that uh, you know the guys are gone, Porter and Zach Scott, who were around when some of that decision was, was made. But Sandy Alderson still is. I'm not sure how big of a fan they are of Steve and Matt. So my feeling with Syndergaard is you didn't have to do that. But the fact that Steve Cohen did it means he doesn't care about money. He doesn't care about overpaying. That is a big difference from the prior ownership group. And that is a good thing because that tells you that when they, they find the right person that wants to play here, and it's a competitive situation for their services, they're going to go and get it done, I think. Maybe not like drunken sailors, but they'll go and get it done. They're overpaying for the other aspects of the roster, something that never happened and undid the Mets many a years under Wilpon exclusive ownership. Now, Conforto's a little bit different because Conforto is a guy that Going into the 2021 season, solid defensive player. You saw he won a ball game this year with his defense. Good lefty hitter, a guy who could hit 30 home runs, driving 9,200 runs, gets you an 850 OPS. I said for a while now, Bryce Harper blew that narrative away by having an MVP type season this summer. I said the guy was Bryce Harper. And uh, uh, if you take out, you know, Bryce Harper had the 2015 MVP season, he had this great 2021, but in between, he was pretty much Michael Conforto. And Conforto never was overly prone to being uh, stymied by left-handed pitching. This year he was. So going into the season, this was a solid guy. Uh, I would have preferred him over George Springer because of his age. He's a homegrown guy. There's some attachment there. And I said, okay, he's a $25 million a year guy. I'm sure Scott Boris is going to look for this you know, nine- or eight-year deal and he can't go that route. But if you want to go 5, you know, 25, you know, you can. I still would be comfortable with that kind of offer. Six years, $150 million with Springer got. I don't know if that's enough at his age where Boris might say, hey, I'll take a shorter deal, but I want a higher AAV getting into the 30, 32. The agents are going to try to make 30 the new benchmark from 25. They're going to try to inch this thing up for all-star players, where then elite players get 40. Eventually, they're going to want to get where the NBA, where really good players get $50 million a year. Um, different sport and what have you. So when you start to look at that, and then you know that you have decisions to make with Baez, who, you know, you see Carlos Correa getting offered $32 million a year. I think Baez sees that, and I know Correa probably will turn that down and look for more and say, okay, that's a, a, a team-friendly, small-market-friendly contract. I may not be, with the supply and demand, the best option out there, but I certainly deserve to be in that 30 to $32 million a year range. 
I'll take that to play second base and be this versatile guy for the Mets and be with my buddy Lindor. And then I think the Mets, the question is, do, how, how invested are they, are they in Baez? And can they do Baez plus another big star plus the pitcher? Because if you, you pick Conforto, uh, you may not get Baez. If you pick Conforto, you probably could get the pitcher. If you pick Baez, you probably are saying, you know what, Conforto's not an option anymore. And and, and that's where it's it's so hard to tell what version of Baez, you know, you really need to put a big leap of faith. I think Baez provides defense at a much more value p- position up the middle, a much bigger on up the middle defense. And the defense that Conforto provides can be replicated with some defensive replacement. I also think the big wild card in this, and we haven't talked about him, is Brett Beatty. How close is Brett Beatty? He's having a great Arizona Fall League. I know earlier this year he was in the New York Penn League, so, uh, well, I said single A, right? It's not the New York Penn League anymore. Single A, whatever they call it, I don't know. Playing in Brooklyn, but I think he's getting close, and I wouldn't be surprised if Brett Beatty, Beatty gets a call up. And Brett Beatty, in a lot of ways, and the big difference with Pete Alonso a couple of years ago, and he's having the same kind of buzz like Pete did when he was uh, playing that offseason, is Pete probably should have been brought up earlier in September call-ups. Good thing they they didn't because he would have been a free agent sooner. Um, and Pete had AAA experience, whereas Beatty didn't. Does that matter? I'm not sure. But he's turning heads in the Arizona Fall League. He's a lefty bat. He could play third base. So if you think Beatty could give you some of the offensive production that you would lose with Conforto, and he's value-driven, go and invest with Baez in the pitcher and then see how the market plays out with other uh, offensive pieces. Um, that might be a reason not even to go to a $25 million a year contract with Conforto. And, uh, you know, with Baez, you don't even have to, I believe, lose a, uh, a pick, which I'm not as crazy. You know, this whole pick thing, I'm not as crazy about. It doesn't drive me crazy. The Mets have a couple of them. They lose the 14th pick, they lose the 14th pick. Big deal. You know, okay. If they're going to get a good player that can help them multiple years and help them win in the now, you'll find somebody else. You know, trust your scouting department to mine through what's going on out there in uh, college baseball and high school baseball to find those those diamonds in the rough. Look at the Braves. You know, one thing, they got a little lucky uh, with Solar and Rosario and Duval, but they went out and got good professional component hitters to complement a strong core of offensive players. Obviously, the question we have is how strong is the core of offensive players for the Mets? Because you have Nimmo and you have Pete Alonso. And to me, you might even want to invest in a center fielder like Marte over Conforto because you can move Nimmo to the corner where he's better defensively. You you put his bat in a better position there. Marte's right-handed. Beatty is another left-handed bat. So do you really need the left-handed bat? You do, um, but maybe you could go more component-driven on that and what have you. Uh, you could even say, okay, well, what if you bring up Beatty or you put in a lot of faith in Beatty playing third? What happens? Sign VR to a, a shorter-term deal. I mean, VR is not going to break the bank with you. And you got your third baseman, a guy that played well here. Uh, I don't think he's a bad guy. He's, you know, he, he 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 seemed to fit in. You know, Chili Davis questioned the team and the and the and the team players in that locker room. Again, I saw VR as a guy that uh, brought a lot to the table. Teams tend to look a lot worse when they fall out of it because the selfishness comes into play, and it's so easy to put that uh, that label on people. So uh, I don't know where the Mets are going to go, but the positive signs here are that they're willing to overspend on players if they think they need them. 
They showed that with Syndergaard. Conforto is a very difficult situation, and I think he ties into other factors. That's why it's so hard to just make the decision in a vacuum. Is Beatty ready? What's the scoop on Baez? Are they interested? And if they are, what is he going to cost? So the fact that they don't have a GM, I don't think it really matters because I don't think any of these things are going to get solved before December 1st. It sounds like there's going to be a lockout. And if there's a lockout, I don't think it, it, it goes anywhere sooner. I don't think it gets solved before before New Year. And I think the owners, my opinion, you saw with the Wade Miley situation with the Reds, a guy that was a very serviceable pitcher for a team that was competing, had a better year than the Mets, let him go on waivers. Maybe he was a little over-indexed. His performance, uh, what he turned out to be versus who he is, is probably a little bit of a gap. He's a back-in-the-rotation guy who pitched really well in the second half. But if you think that what's going on in the world with inflation and people's pocketbooks getting crimped and costs going up and all that is not going to lead to less revenue for sports and for teams, at least from a projection standpoint, with their attendance and their merchandise and all that other stuff. I know they got the cable deals, but cord cutting is happening. There's a lot of uncertainty for the next five years about how much revenue sports could bring in and the growth of sports revenue in a world with a lot of different things going on, a lot of interest, and a game that's been criticized for its pace of play, for the kind of product that's out on the field. So what Wade Miley and what happened there means that, you know, possibly you're going to be able to get players at a much different rate post-CBA than you would if you went wild right now just to lock them up. You know, we're in the instant gratification part of our world. Lock them up, lock them up, because like, fans are getting anxious. And it's going to be, if there's a lockout and the Mets are kind of quiet between now and I think they will be, other than some housekeeping, the fans are going to be brutal. They're going to drive me crazy. I'm going to have to figure out how I don't go off the the deep end. But that's my problem, not yours. It is if the show goes off the air. But anyway. All right. Let's take a quick break. When I return, Rich Mancuso, New York Sports Day. He believes Sandy Alderson is the problem. Is Sandy Alderson the problem? We'll find out about that more right after this. Anthony's Friday night on Baseball Night in New York that it would have been negligent of the Mets not to extend a qualifying offer to Syndergaard. JJ, do you agree with that? I do, because when you think about what Noah Syndergaard brings to the table when he is right, we're talking about a premier pitcher. We're talking about a guy who can be a 1A, and I know I've been critical of Noah at times, but I mean, one year at 17 and $18 million with the amount of money that the Mets are going to have in their budget, I had absolutely no problem with that. The one that surprised me, Doug, is Conforto, because Conforto is coming off a year where he was absolutely dreadful. And if I'm Michael Conforto, after the season I just had, I'm scooping up 17 or $18 million. I am all about that action. I don't know what I'm going to get in free agency. So I'm not really surprised with Syndergaard. I am a little surprised when it comes to Conforto. Interesting. Okay, Anthony. So if you're Conforto, would you do what JJ is suggesting and consider accepting this thing? I would consider accepting it, Doug, uh, but I think there might be more out there in, in terms of a multi-year deal, deal for him. I mean, J.J.'s right. He didn't have the year that he would have wanted going into free agency this past season, but I think he's still known around the game as a quality outfielder and a real offensive threat where he even may have more in the bank there. So I think he'll get multi-year offers, which will add up to more total dollars than the $18.4 million qualifying offer. So he's got some deciding to do. Uh, if he's looking for a pillow contract, a make good, uh, and he feels like he has unfinished business with the Mets, then maybe this is an avenue he'll go with and, and, and take the Mets offer. 
you know, but if he's also looking for a one-year deal to go out and mash and then get a big contract in a different free agent year in the following uh, winter, then he might go to a more uh, hitter-friendly ballpark, uh, which is than City Field, which is notoriously uh, dismal for uh, for hitters. Yeah, that's a good point, and I'm not so sure Conforto's anxious to play for another contract. Maybe he wants the security of a long-term deal, even at less of an AAV than he was expecting going into last season. We're back, and joining me, there's not a lot of good things in the Bronx because of the Yankees, but joining me is the one good thing I think there is in the Bronx, and I'm sure we have listeners in the Bronx, so I'm just joking. Rich Mancuso, New York Sports Day, good friend of the show, and he he feels that Sandy Alderson might be holding the Mets back. So, Rich, welcome to the program. You've got your coffee here on a Sunday morning, a day of fall weather, football, and what a way to kind of kick it off with you and I talking. How are you, Mike? Uh, it's always a pleasure, Mike, on a Sunday morning, too, when we push the clock back, too. That's what's Oh, funny. I didn't even think of that. How, yeah. did, how did you take – did you take this fall back well? And are you one of those people who wants to see it go away? I know there's a whole bunch of people who want to fall back. Just keep it at one uh, time. Let the sun be the sun. And yeah, the I'd like, I, I, I'd like an Arizona guy. So, I, I you know, I like they, where they don't push the clock back for a while, so – I don't agree with it, but hey, I don't sleep much anyway. What the heck? You well, know, I'll tell and... you what. I'll tell you what. There's not a lot of Mets fans sleeping these days because they don't no. know what's going on with the Mets GM search, oh. president of baseball operations, the GM meetings coming up, new CBA. Now, I do want to get into Conforto and Syndergaard during the piece, but let's put those guys secondary. Mm. Um, so I've been I'll, I'll kind of give you where I've been at with this and then I want you to take it from there. You wrote a great piece over at New York New York Sports Day called Mets issue the master Sandy, you know, basically the master. And there has been reports that Sandy Alderson has been a problem and his son Bryn is a problem. Now, it turns out there's been some reporting that's been less than solid on well Steve Cohen has eliminated Sandy from the process and he's doing it and former governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie. It seems like that's not true, but I feel like there's got to be somewhere in between. I think the Mets have gone underground and that's been reported. They don't get a lot of information out there. I think the media is grasping for straws and going through uh, other teams for information. That's not quite complete. You seem to have a good feel of this. Am I off base and saying, yes, Sandy, I'm sure there's concerns and questions, but this is a guy that's been lauded in this industry and was lauded a year ago. I was skeptical I know he was necessary to get Cohen into the uh, the club, but you're saying in this piece at New York Sports Day that Sandy is a big problem in the yeah. moving forward with a new GM. I've been able to talk to numerous people, insiders in the game, higher-ups, and I wrote it, you know, and used the word albatross. I, I, it could be worse. I mean, he's... Uh, Look, when you have – forget about the Theo Epsteins and the Billy Beans and the Stearns from Milwaukee, the big guys that might have not – for one reason, felt it was the right place to be in New York or they weren't allowed to even look at the position. I mean, just look at it. Look at the list. Look at the names that are coming out. And um, from what I've been informed, it's definitely who I call the master. And I call him a master, and I don't mean that uh, in a positive way, Mike. I mean it in a negative way. Because Sandy Alderson, despite what he did with the Mets in his previous reign, is a man that has an ego that far exceeds anyone you could think of. 
and is a man that is looking to protect his son in that front office to ensure that his son Byron has a job eventually maybe becoming the GM of that organization of the Mets. That's one problem. The other problem is the difference in views with with analytics. And there are, believe it or not, many baseball people out there, higher office people, that don't believe in the analytic uh, strategy that Sandy Alderson shows them once. And he's high into that, as we all know. He's very big, big into that. That's another issue here. The other issue is who is running the show to find the baseball director of ops and the eventual GM? Is it Sandy? Or is he going, or is Steve Cohen giving him full autonomy to do it? Um, there are so many factors here, so many reports, but my, my key source it tells me it's definitely, and he's close to uh, Sabian, who reportedly is interested in this position, but doesn't feel it with Sandy Elderson taking in control. In other words, Sandy's going to be there. Unless Steve Cohen says, retire, not set, have a good life. Thank you for your time. There is no other explanation here, and from what I've been able to gather from my reporting and talking, it's, again, Sandy Alderson, Mike. And, you know, it is become, it has become a mockery of the baseball world. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone is saying, what's going on here? Major market, New York, as I wrote, prestige, good money, New York franchise. The Mets have a lot to offer. So what is wrong here? What is wrong? And it is Sandy Alderson. That's just some of it. There's a lot which is of- interesting, which is interesting because you are giving, and it's been a, a, a point made out there, um, a totally different, 360 view from a week ago where it was Sandy's been pushed aside and Steve Cohen is going to Chris Christie and point 72. And it all sounded so WWE. You're an old wrestling guy. Yeah. yeah. Like all manufactured, fabricated. And, and then you get Chili uh, a couple reports this week, one, you know, on the record with Chili Davis talking about the over-reliance and analytics. And, and yeah. you just talked about that. And the other one, which reported that Sandy Alderson, and this is where it's interesting about how this is going to go. Uh, I don't know if, I'm sure Steve Cohen is going to the GM meetings. I'm sure he, he wants to be there. Um, but it's a, the report was that a, Sandy Alderson wanted to keep Luis Rojas, who I thought also should have kept his job, especially now yeah. with, you know, the whole situation with the front office. I'm like, keep the guy another year. He didn't do exactly. a bad job. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was that much of an albatross. But Steve Cohen wanted to fire him all over the thumbs down, all over a silly situation that I think was overblown. Uh, I understand Cohen is a guy that is a fan. He's taking a fan point of view. Uh, fans got all outraged on it. I, I just thought it was more uh, much to do about nothing. A lot of clickbait type of stuff. Uh, could he have done a better job by us? Sure. But I mean, why are we even talking about gestures and celebrations during a post game when it should be about baseball. So right. if Cohen is taking that liberty to override Sandy and it's his team. He can do that, uh, which is funny. There's no outrage over that because that's always been like full autonomy. No front office personnel has full autonomy. The owner always is involved, especially when it comes to big decisions like managers right. and big contracts right. and things like that. So hearing that, knowing that, hearing what you're hearing, Cohen must be on board 
with that mindset because if Saban wanted the job, the, you know, he, he could just, you know, Cohen say, I want that guy. So it sounds like they're one of the same, maybe Sandy and Cohen. And what you're saying are negative attributes with ego and what have you. Anybody can read the book Black Edge. Steve Cohen has an ego. Maybe that's the fear. Like if an owner could come in and override the longtime executive, the Hall of Fame debatable, but a Hall of Fame executive in Sandy Alderson about Louis Rojas, what else can he override them with? And and a lot of young executives don't want to take on that kind of uh, no. environment. No, it's really perplexing. And you're right. Bring up good points, Mike. Um, I, it, it's a matter, you know, uh, first, let's get to the manager part. And you're right to backtrack. But, you know, Willie Rojas is not the culprit here. He, he, he was good in the clubhouse. We weren't in the clubhouse, so we wouldn't know. But you could see it a little bit in the dugout on the field. We were given access to do that. Um, analytics is ruining baseball, and in this case, it ruined the Mets some more, despite everything else that went on with this team. Analytics is a big part of it, and it's with a lot of teams. And Rojas went along with the plan. Hell, the manager doesn't have the lineup in his hand. It's on his desk. I write about that all the time. Before he Chili, Davis, Chili Davis validated yeah. that on the record. Oh, yeah. No, he's not, because Terry Collins told me that uh, when he came in in September to do some games on, on uh, WCBS uh, with Howie Rose uh, having the time off. And I hope Howie's okay, by the way. He had been struggling a little bit. But um, Terry Collins told me that. And a lot of baseball people tell me that. The lineups are on the desk. The analytical department is huge with the New York Mets. I saw a little bit of it. I got a sneak peek. Big room, seven, eight young geeks, as I call them, <laughs> mathematical wizards that know nothing about the game. And I'm going to tell you another thing, that Steve Cohn has all the money he has and whatever he's done or trying to do, knows nothing about the game. He's just going along with what he's hearing. Big fan. That's what he is. With a lot of money. Yep. And that's what and that, he and that analytics department uh, is head by. Uh, and I should give the guy credit because I mentioned it earlier in the program. Ben uh, Zosmer. Uh, mm-hmm. And and look, Rich. Um, I'm with everybody. I believe, and I've said this from the start. I want a uh, a GM that has a good, healthy blend of scouting and analytics, uh, but mm-hmm. a big part. And that's why they'll call us Rodriguez of Tampa. Was a really interesting candidate. A you got to use both. You need yeah. to use both. You Player need to development use is exactly because yeah. you know you could assess a guy analytically and not have the complete picture. Right. If they're handing over, uh, and and I could see with point seventy two with his primary business, quants and analytics and computers. You know, and I'm sounding like a a, a, a juvenile probably in that world. If somebody's in the the, the broker world. But they're actually replacing brokers with these complex algorithms that can look at the market and, yeah. and assess things. And there's nothing wrong with taking that information and really uh, having it. But player development and understanding player development and having an eye for talent is important. And it's becoming even more important as there's a minimal differentiation sometimes between certain players. Now, to be fair to that analytics department, during the replacements period, they went out, they got some players, they were able to navigate it. I think positioning and defense that widely was part of their analytic uh, component saved them a lot this season from what could have been a disaster much earlier. Uh, and I think the defense is one of the biggest credits 
to yeah. the analytics department. But you're right. If this is becoming NASA, uh, well, you know, that's a big problem. And and Sandy Alderson, and again, that could be the owner. And maybe now you're uncovering the real rub here is if the owner and anybody who wants to learn more about Steve Cohen, read the b- book Black Edge. Just read the book Black Edge. You'll see what kind of guy he was uh, in the stock world, in the financial Numbers. world. Numbers. You know, so, but look, he's got money. He's got money. And the positive on this, uh, Rich, you saw it last night. They picked up Syndergaard's option. Uh, he's willing to overpay. That's an overpay. Syndergaard's not going to get $18 million one-year deal. Maybe he gets $11, 12000000 $12 Maybe. We'll see what the CBA brings. Yeah, he's willing to overpay yeah. to, get to, 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 to keep his cupboard full. So you got to take the good with the bad. Is there any way for this to turn out well? So you hearing what you're hearing, are we just going to see Alderson, Alderson's son, Bren, Ian Levin, and Tommy Tanis? Which isn't, I mean, the first iteration of Alderson was a cabinet. So why wouldn't he do that again? Instead of Deep Podesta and J.P. Ricciardi and John Rickle well, doing the administrative well, work, well, they just do a different the, version of it. Those well, three names you just mentioned, uh, they, they should still be in place there and then, obviously. Um, I, I, I don't know where this is going, Mike. You know, you get all the reports I get. All the names that are still being mentioned, no one really knows. And as crazy as it sounds, it's Chris Christie's name, that's legitimate. They are friends. Cohen Christie well, he's a very on, he's good part friend. of ownership. He probably which he, he has thing. no business being involved with this. I mean, uh, what does this guy? This this guy is a political guy. You know, I. I when I mention, when I hear his name, and I'm not being political here, it just I, I just want to vomit because he doesn't belong in this picture. He doesn't belong, and he should keep his mouth shut and on the side. You need baseball people to run a baseball organization to build build a winner, and that's the other issue. The Mets don't have that. They thought they did with Porter, with Zach Scott. With everything else, but they don't have that, and there's no one there really to say, you know what? Who's going to be our baseball ops? Who's going to run be the GM eventually? Who's going to be our manager? That's why this has become a mockery right now. As we get into, we're in November here. General manager meetings, winter meetings might be going on or not. I don't know if they're going to extend the deadline with the collective bargaining agreement. I don't think it will. I'm hearing, as I wrote that the winter meetings are in bad jeopardy and that there'll be a shutdown after December 1st. So that's going to stall everything even more, even right. more. Well, uh, if you go to, you you know, and you made a point, if you go to the front office directory on MLB.com, the Mets site, you got 20 members of the analytics department, but you have a ton of amateur scouts and international scouts and yeah, see, that's the uh, thing. player that's development thing. guys, you know, but Mike, those, guys. Campaign, those scouts are really, really have no more influence. And the whole game has gone that way. The scouting departments have been minimized to practically nothing. And the very bad thing. having very little input, I want to say because the numbers have taken, have taken over. They took over the numbers. That's what it is. And the Mets are in that group. That's it. Right. So there's so many issues here with the Mets, so many that this is becoming the story of the offseason instead of making moves to put a championship team on the field for the fans, which Steve Cohen intended to do from the beginning. Do you think they can still navigate a competitive team? 
can they navigate a competitive team through all this? Because, look, the offseason is going to be different. I think and, – and tell me if you're hearing this. I'm, I'm, I don't have any sources on this, but um, you're going to have a lockout December 2nd. You're going to probably so. have no baseball transactions till after New Year. I could see a it's scenario where lucky. February 1st, mm-hmm. you know, two weeks before pitchers and catchers, you have this wild – condensed off season, which would favor the owners. It would save mm-hmm. them money as they try mm-hmm. to recalibrate this thing. And anybody who didn't look at what happened with Cincinnati and Wade Miley being put mm-hmm. on waivers with a reasonable $10 million a year contract, granted mm-hmm. he's probably a little bit more of a back end of the rotation starter than the guy that had good overall traditional numbers. If you didn't see that as teams saying, Hmm, I got to be careful in this economy that has super inflation. Fans' uh, disposable income is going to be uh, condensed. There's tons of cable cutting going on. Uh, the next five years, politically, we don't know what's going on. We don't no. know what kind of uh, economy we're going to have. It doesn't look good from a lot of the prognosticators. That could change overnight, but yeah, right. we got to remember, these are wealthy guys that need to have some sort of cost certainty in their life. And I don't know if the CBA or baseball is going to bring that. So you may see them do that themselves. Now, you'll talk about collusion and whatnot. But this is going to be so. The, and the point is, the Mets are not in a rush, maybe because they don't have to be. No, it's really going to be accomplished before Thanksgiving. No. Other Nobody than qualifying knows. offers, no. nothing. Is Marcus that, Stroman going to sign? Is Marcus Stroman going to sign before Thanksgiving? Is Conforto? Mm-hmm. Is Baez? Mm-hmm. I don't know. We, we don't know. We just we don't know nothing. Uh, and I don't know. Their behavior this. says no. That's what yeah. I think. Their behavior says no. They're gonna look. They're gonna. They're gonna uh, look at uh, offers. Uh, I mean, I haven't really confirmed anything because where Strowman might end up or whatever. What you're reading is what you're reading. What you're hearing is what you're hearing. There's a lot of activity that won't happen until there's an agreement in place. The owners and the players. Uh, the Cinegard and Conforto thing had to be done now because they didn't want that to linger. And Sandy, obviously, is in control of all that. So where this is going, nobody knows. The answers are not there, Mike. That's all I can tell you. It's very, very right now up in the air with everything. For the Mets front office, to just about a lot of teams making the moves they have to make to put a competitive team on the field to get to October. Right now, as it stands, the Mets have a team that can relatively compete, but not with the Braves. And maybe not even with the Phillies. I mean, I mean, you got to look at what's going on with, with with the Braves and the Phillies. And you know, the Braves again are a good example of what a good baseball organization is from the top to the bottom. Right. And the moves that they made at the trade deadline were significant. Of course, we did the outfield, did this and that, and that's what got them where they were. I mean, this was a team that was in what five hundred at beginning of August, middle of August. They're uh, they're an example of a great baseball organization. <laughs> Excuse me, a team also that uses analytics and scouting at the same time. They still use scouting, and that's so important in the game. The Mets are not doing that. That's another point here. Analytics is a part of the game. There's only one team in baseball, as I reported, that don't, does not use analytics, doesn't believe in it, won't do it. That's because their uh, GM and, and, their, and their assistant GMs and baseball people don't want it. And in a way, that's going to work for the Padres in the end. Extending it, it didn't have all those sweats of injuries. They might have been deep into October this year, but they weren't. Mets have none of that. 
Right. They don't have. And who is the one? And who is the one team that doesn't use analytics in your opinion? <clears throat> I, I don't want to say. Um, okay, but it's I, one team that that one puts team. Play. Yeah, but are one they? Are they? Could you say is it a successful team and is it working for them? Their it philosophy. Is, it is a successful team. Yes. Right. Yes. There you go. And, and um, they they uh, they'll be successful down the line because they're right. always looking at scouting reports more than the numbers. They look at right. numbers. They depend more on their advanced scouting, and they depend more on their scouts that appear to see a database of every player in baseball. Right. From the minor league level, to was it played the Dominican Republic, Latin America, to the major league level. Database of every player, I've seen it, and it's, uh, it's phenomenal. The Mets don't have that. The Mets don't right. have that type of... It's an interesting thing. Hey, Rick. Right. And I, look, I I've been I've been a critic of Sandy. I got taken to task for it last year. He's not a baseball guy. He's more I never a, liked him. Uh, I never liked manic, him. But he was necessary to get Cohen approved. We know that. He was necessary to get Cohen approved. All right. Um, on to baseball here as we uh, wrap up. Uh, here's what I said about Conforto and Syndergaard, and here's what I, I want to get your thoughts. Conforto, it, really, really interesting. I don't think he'll take the qualifying offer and accept it. Uh, but it's no shoo-in that he's going to get any better deal. No. You know, then he's got a lot of things. He's got a lot of things against him. He didn't have a good year. Only one month did he really be. He wasn't. He was Conforto for one month in August. He now is not hitting left-handers. He's good defensively. I get it. But his value to me is $25 million a year. Six years, $150 And that's if you get the Conforto pre-2021. We don't know what the Conforto going forward is. Is he a guy that's just going to hit some righties? Not hit lefties, a platoon. He's more of a platoon guy at times. Think about right. that. Does he stay healthy too? That's another. Does he factor. stay healthy because he had some issues? But that could be part and parcel mm. too. You know, he had COVID going into the season. Maybe that contributed to some of his, you know, situation. We don't know really the full story there. We don't know what that uh, that illness, that virus, does to people. We really don't know. Hundred uh, percent. We know it's probably not good. So, um, you know, to me. There's a part of me that if I'm Conforto, take the 18 million, reestablish your market, go out there. Then there's also the Met part. If 6150 is what you're going to offer, if they offer that, A, can they offer that going forward and keep Baez? And do they like Baez better? And then B, I said this before, how does Brett Beatty come into play here? Mm. Because Brett Beatty's tearing up Arizona Fall League. You put right. him at third, maybe you have VR as like a pillow guy. And then you go out and you put Baez and spend the money on Baez. And maybe you go more component in the outfield, a little bit better mix of offense, defense, with a stalling Marte, moving him out of the corner, so on and so forth. So talk about that, because where do you see Conforto? Do you see Conforto and the Mets as a marriage that's likely to happen? Or do you see it as, like I do, a lot of other things depend, and he's just one of those options. He's not the target. Well, I, he's going to be a, uh, an option and a target, I believe. I think uh... – Conforto is going to uh, look at what he can get. And, and look, I, I don't know what other teams are looking at. He's not going to get this 40, this major, lucrative, multi-million dollar, whatever deal, extent, long deal from any team right now. Uh, I, if you ask me, Conforto stays, is still going to be a Met next year. That's what I believe. I believe he stays in the Met. I don't think, you know, the little talks I had with him during the end of the season, it seemed like he was, he wants to stay here. Everybody knows that. He's a Met. He loves New York and he loves playing for the Mets. 
And I just don't know what where the market. No one see. That's the thing. Let's get back to this. No one knows where the market is right now. No one. No one knows where where the salaries and the structure and the luxury tax and everything goes until we have the CBA. But I I do believe that Conforto stays and Syndergaard stays. You know what team is going to work? Uh, not you know let's take a chance with Noah Syndergaard after what he's been through. So he stays in Met too. Conforto stays in Met. You know the Dom, the, the Dom Smith, the JD Davis, and Jeff McNeil. Those guys up in the air could be trades. Team needs a major revamping. We know that. But first in place, you need a front office. Without a front office, you can't do nothing. So we're talking about this as just speculation, right? Right. Now. Right. That's all well, it is. Uh, that, that's a and that's the problem right now, and I think that's the problem between now and and maybe the CBA yeah. getting solved. Now, Syndergaard, my concern with Syndergaard is, look, I don't have a problem with the qualifying offer. I think he'll accept it. There was some meme out on Twitter that makes it seem like he'll accept it. I don't think he could do better on a one year deal. Yeah. I would have maybe said, hey, decline the qualifying offer, save a few bucks, go two years, twenty four million, give him that second year because as we know with Zach Wheeler and other guys with TJ surgery, you kind of need to work your way in. Rich, there's concerns. You know, everybody's like, oh, no, he's back. He pitched two innings in two years. His velocity's on average from a fa- on his four-seam fastballs down three right. miles an hour. The differentiation between his fastball and his changeup is not the same. Again, it could come back. We don't know. And he hasn't even thrown a slider yet. So we don't know no. what the slider's going to look like. And that's a very important pitch that he used 15% of the time back in 2019. He's, I don't expect him to throw 100 anymore not every pitch no, he used to no he's not going to but he's got to get up into that high 90s or else we may have yeah. the same problem with him that you see what Matt mm. Harvey is once mm-hmm. Samson loses his hair which is very apropos for uh Thor right does he not have anything anymore I'm very concerned I'm not penciling him he's a huge question mark I have no problem it's only money it's not my money but you know everybody you know the fans acting like well Syndergaard's coming back I'm not sure he's a better option than Strowman. I think Strowman, no. these five years, is much more likely to have a better career than Syndergaard. He can pitch. Yeah. Whether yeah, I'm like say, uh, nonsense or not, he can pitch. Well, talk about Jacob DeGrom. I don't think Jacob DeGrom's ever going to be what he was. You know, There's some I, positive news on that, that, you know, looks like the MRI tube and all that. I haven't even gotten to that today. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're finding out things now. Uh, the, 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 what kept them more on the sideline? They should have shut him down in July for good. Or even before, but I don't think Jake is going to be Jake. You're not going to see the same guy. That's my feel on it. Baseball people said tell me the same thing this week. You know, he's uh, he's got to overcome this, and I don't know. And if you don't have Jacob Degrom, uh, that pitching staff is uh, in disarray. Yeah, you, know? you have you don't have your hub. <laughs> they're they're, you don't have they're it. Your whole fabric is Degrom on that. Stand. They don't have much to do with the bullpen. I think the bullpen's good. I wouldn't I wouldn't bring back Jerry's familiar. I love the guy, but he's just it's not the answer. I mean, um, you've got some good good sparks in that bullpen that that help him. And you know, again, you close his Edwin Diaz. Where does it go? I mean, all of these things are up in the air. First and first. We need a CBA. They have to come to an agreement before any moves are made. And you need a front office. You need a manager. And who's going to manage this team? There are guys out there, and I don't want to hear Buck Showalter's name. That's not happening. Okay? 
I'm not going to hear that name. I'd love to see Omar Minaya back in control in the front office. That's what I'd love to see. I don't that's, think that's going to happen. That's not going to happen. I'd love to see it. Who's going to manage your team again? Forget about Buck Showalter. They'll see that happening. Bob Melbourne would have been a great fit, but the Padres pulled up a nice coup getting him from Oakland, which was great. Um, I didn't want to come Ron here. It sounds Washington. like he turned down. No, it sounds like he turned no. down. Even though that was Sandy's guy, but I'd love to see Ron Washington become the next manager. But uh, I don't know about that either. You know, he's uh, very happy with Atlanta, and he might get offers, and he might not want to come into a mess he doesn't know about. But that signing a manager is not going to happen until you have someone in the front office to write one make of the moves. And right now, it's Sandy Alverson, the master, as I call him, the albatross. And he's going nowhere. It seems like he's staying. And I don't know what Steve Cohen and him are going to negotiate to do. I really don't know. It's up in the air. It's a mockery, as I said. And it's becoming the baseball offseason story, not only here in New York, but around baseball. What do you got coming up, Rich? New York Sports Day and uh, obviously Latino Sports. Let the yeah. listeners know where they could find you at Ring786 on Twitter, of course. On Twitter. Yeah, Mike, it's a, it's a boxing season, and I'm coming off the big fight last night in Vegas. So a lot of boxing, and a lot of this, there's going to be a lot of this off-season baseball uh, content that I'll be putting together for New York Sports Day and Latino Sports, boxing. Even some uh, MLS soccer here in the New York area. So there's a lot going on. Crazy time. But most of all, we all need to stay healthy and we all need to be as positive as we can because we're living in crazy times. And I I, I do hope that Met fans realize that uh, this is not going to be settled anytime soon. Uh, But there is optimism because once they do, they do have some good prospects down the line and – I'm sure Steve Cohen, the end, investing all this money is going to make this team a winner before long. Just got to get that. He's got off. money. Ultimately, oh, yeah. money money is a, a blessing it's and a off. curse. Yeah, as yeah, you can see off. from yeah. this whole thing, Rich. Mike, I, I I wish I could provide you some more and the fans some more uh, inside info as far as this and that, who's coming, who's going, but nobody really knows. And whatever you're seeing on Twitter or whatever you're hearing is just talk. That's what social media is. A lot of white noise. Just to generate dialogue and discussion during a difficult time. Rich, enjoy your Sunday. Be well. Let's do it again. And uh, hang in there. No, you wouldn't have been about me that I would be talking, would we? (laughs) Be well. You take it easy, Mike. Always a pleasure. Keep it in the ring, as I said. All right, buddy. Bye-bye. Rich Man Cuso. Good stuff. Hey, listen, he's painting a very um, not-so-great picture for what uh, is currently a dynamic time, really interesting time to be covering this team and talking about this team. They've they've done what they never were able to do in the past, which is, uh, you know, basically uh, take all the um, leaks and plug them. And other than a little bit from Andy Martino, you're getting nothing, So, which, which makes me think there's – there's more to that. You know, obviously Rich has some information and it's coming more from the Brian Sabian camp, which has its own spin on things, but he makes a lot of great points. And if you go to the MLB directory of Mets.com, you know, it's there. There's a lot of analytics guys. That analytics department's huge. It's necessary and they've been criticized for it, but uh, sometimes the wrong 
individuals in an organization can get power. All right, let's take a quick break, wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts here on the uh, Talking Mets podcast. Went a little longer today, and I uh, hope you enjoyed it. I thought Rich gave us some good information. Connection was a little bit iffy at times on Zoom, but uh, I thought we we got what we needed out there. And Rich is a good man, and uh, he does great work over there. Um, so, really, what, what's next? Uh, I think with this GM meetings, we're going to hear from Sandy Alderson. Uh, what we hear and how the, the whole conversation goes down, if we don't hear, geez, that's going to go. That ain't going to go over well. Um, I think it may necess- necessitate us coming back a little sooner than next Sunday, so stay tuned. Uh, and then we have the holidays coming up, Thanksgiving, Christmas. I mean, if there's a CBA and a lockdown, uh, I'm, I'm rattling, ar- rattling around some thoughts about what to do. So uh, we'll worry about that when the time comes. A lot to talk about, but like Rich said, I mean, until you get this GM and manager thing, well, the manager's less important, I think, at this point, especially after you hear how the manager's just, uh, you know, executing what the front office wants. You really can't figure out what the direction of the team is. It was so much different last offseason, and uh, it's hard to do the traditional type of analysis that we do, which is usually our wish list and the direction we like to see the team go. And, you know, there's a lot of questions that we don't have answered, and that's, uh, you know, that's just part of the crazy times we're in. Hey, I uh, want to just give a couple of shout-outs. want to thank our, our loyal listener, Peter Williams, for uh, reaching out. Thank you for listening, Peter. Always appreciate it. And a new uh, listener uh, listened for the first time this past week. He actually was at the clinching game in 1986 when the Mets beat the Cubs for the NL East title. Chico Walker, who would become a future Met, grounding out to make the final out. Joshua Mendelson, I want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for joining the club here. And look, we have had so many new listeners, especially since the fan-sided partnership came into play. So uh, I want to say thank you. Continue to uh, to listen to the Talking Mets podcast, and we'll continue to try to, I'll continue to try to bring you new and interesting content each and every week. Hey, I want to thank Rich Mancuso for joining us today. Check out his work on Twitter at Ring786 and, of course, at New York Sports Day and Latino Sports. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get a show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And check out our friends over at RisingApple.com and our friends over at Fanside. Thank you for being part of the Fansided Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast pretty soon. Till then, take care, everybody.
Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.